0: super excited to be with you this morning. Blessed and really honored to be with you all this morning. Yesterday was great. Uh, we were thrilled to be able to be with the couples that were here uh, in the morning. Uh, and for those that were here, um, I just want to encourage you with this. My wife and I, we came here together in the same car this time. Yeah. So. But almost didn't because uh, that's an inside joke because we had to, she had fire school after we were done yesterday here, so she had to drive separate. But this morning she was on a fire call. So um, it was up, that's why we were running a little bit late. So I was waiting for her to come back. So if, if you have seen anybody uh, sniffing her, that's because she has been asking them, Do I smell like smoke? Do I smell like smoke? Which she, she doesn't. Um, what I'd like to do this morning, um, and, and there's time, so when you go places and you speak, there's times that the Lord just affirms something before you get up front. Not always, but there are those times. And I'm going to tell you, when that happens, it just puts, as a speaker, it just put, puts winds in, wind in your sails, and you're, like, ready to go. Um, and and I don't know where Jeff went to, but his prayer this morning, I'm like, that is affirming. <laughs> that is because it it's, it's where I want to go this morning. If you have your Bibles, or you have a Bible app, or you have anybody near you with a Bible... Uh, First Kings chapter 17 is where is where we're going to go this morning and we're going to we're going to try to work our way through multiple chapters um, to follow a storyline here and let me give you the backstory on on why we want to do this um, so New Year's um, our students uh, in our school discipleship uh, by the way I'm from Miracle Mountain Ranch those that don't know that um our we have a discipleship program and our our students went home 10 days early because of covid so we dismissed them in the middle of uh or the first part of december actually and so when the student body goes home that means that the staff do chores now i like that actually um uh, chores at the barn are therapeutic to me going to the barn is therapeutic to me everything in the barn makes sense to me things in the um, executive world don't always so um and, uh, and Jenny's always very gracious that when I do chores at the barn over a period of time, she'll say this, uh, she'll just say, you're like better <laughs> when, when you're at the barn. Like there's just something, it's, it's just, it's a, it's, a, it's a place of encouragement for me that the Lord has provided for me. But anyway, we're at the barn and, and it was New Year's, coming up on New Year's weekend. And I was finishing up feeding Hay with um, our marketing director, Donnie Rosie. And we're walking up to one of the other barns and and uh, I said, are you speaking anywhere this Sunday? And uh, he said, no. He said, actually, I, because he fills pulpit lots of places. He said, no, actually, I don't have. In fact, I'm, I'm going to our home church. It's just, I've got no responsibilities. Just me, the wife, the kids. We're just going to all sit together. He said, I'm really excited about that. And I said, well, that's great. I said, that's really great. And we made it maybe 10 feet, and he just stopped walking. And I said, what, what's the matter? He said, I, I may actually be speaking somewhere this Sunday. Like, I didn't think about that till you just asked me. I need to check my calendar. And lo and behold, he was speaking somewhere that Sunday at his own church. <laughs> uh, so um, anyway, when we were walking, I, he, he said, uh, I told him, I said, well, you know, you always need to be ready with a message because you don't know. And my dad, my dad was old school. My dad was a pastor. And, and uh, he always kept a, an outline in his Bible. In case you showed up somewhere and they said, hey, can you speak? He's like, I got a message ready. Here's an outline ready to go. I've been in that same situation myself where I've arrived at a church thinking that I'm doing like a five-minute promotional for the the ranch ministry. And they'll say, okay, so what's your topic for the morning service? I'll get you one, right? (laughs) Um, And do you mind covering Sunday school? Why, no, I don't. So let's roll with it, right? So anyway, walking up to the barn and I got the thing, I think, so if I was in that spot like him and I had that last minute of, Hey, can you speak? What would I speak on? Like, where would I go? And there's lots of passages that, 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 I mean, they're all good, right? <laughs> so there's, there's no bad place to go in, 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 in the Word of God. But there are passages that have been more significant to me than others, and some that I, have really impacted my life. I think of Psalm chapter 1. And Psalm chapter 1 is a passage that God used in my life to really change the trajectory of my life. As a young man going the wrong direction in life and making bad decisions in life, God used that passage to get me steered in, in a good direction. Or or last year when I was here, I shared out a Psalm chapter 63. I still pray that before I go to bed at night. When I'm anxious, I pray Psalm 63 over and over again to myself to remind myself of the attributes of who God is and his consideration of me. But the passage that came to mind before I was done with chores that morning is 1 Kings chapter 17. If I was going to go to a passage in this season, and it has been a long season, um, for all those who were saying, hey, yay, 2020 is over. Where have you been? 2021 feels a lot like 2020, right? So we're not a, this is not a sprint. This has been a marathon, and it has turned into a marathon. And so God has a purpose in this for us to instruct us and to, to establish us on the long haul. When you train horses, sometimes you bring th- something into a horse that they're only going to have to deal with in a moment, Like if you put pressure on a horse in that, whether it's an outside thing that's going to impact them, like sometimes I'll use a tarp or I'll use a, a rope or something like that, they just have to navigate that for that moment, and then they're done, right? Lesson learned. And I used to teach all the time when it came to pressure in a horse's life that, that was, that's the basis for training, because it is. You put pressure on the animal, the animal discovers the release of the pressure, whatever it might be, whether it's a leg on their side or pressure on a rein in your hand. Whatever that pressure is, they learn to find the release, because the release is what trains the animal, not the pressure. They find the release, they look for that release, and then they keep looking for that release. So they become softer and softer, more responsive to that pressure. And I think God does those things in our life. Right? Where he brings a pressure in, we discover the release which is in him. And by God's grace, as we mature, we get softer and softer. It takes less pressure for us to respond to that. But we all know that there are some pressures that don't go away. Right? There are those pressures that, that, they, that, that Paul speaks of when he says, You know, I asked and I asked and I asked that this thorn would be removed. But this isn't something God's going to remove because it was for the benefit of Paul that it not be removed. There are those pressures in our life that continue and how will we process those pressures. And for me, that's been one of these seasons. And that's why 1 Kings chapter 17 has been so significant to me. Now, we're going to go through 17. We're going to go through 18. We're going all the way through 19. So... In my vernacular, um, and we're actually going to end up finishing in 2 Kings chapter 1. In the world that I live, we would say something like this. Throw a leg over, grab leather, and hang on. This is going to be quite a ride. Because the story actually begins in 1 Kings chapter 16. If in 1 Kings chapter 16, it says, In the 38th year of Asa king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing, trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And he went And he served Baal and worshiped him. And he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. That's the condition that we're going to discover one of my favorite characters in scripture stepping into. Now, Before we get going further, there's two things I want you to consider as we walk through these passages this morning. The first is this. It's good to relate to different characters in Scripture. And if I were to pull the room, probably each of you might have somebody that's like, this is who I identify with. Like, this is somebody in Scripture I I always love learning more about this person. And, and it, it could be Old Testament, New Testament, all, all over the place. Um, there was a thing going on on Facebook with former uh, students, uh, alumni of our discipleship program. If you could have a, it was a meal or a visit or something with one character in scripture, who would it be? Who would you want to sit down with? Who do you have questions for? Um, and for me, one of these guys is, is this guy. Now, my answer to it when they asked me was, actually, Adam. And they said, why, Adam? And I said, because I would like to know what it was like to fellowship before the fall. I just want to know. Praise the Lord. One day we will. Right. We get that all. We get that all worked out. Those who have trusted in Christ. So anyway, Elijah is one of these guys for me and that he is introduced to us here in 1st Kings chapter 17. So. Remember, here's the here's the situation. Ahab has taken control. Ahab has embraced Baal worship. Okay. Baal worship, those are the that's the the, 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 the worship of Baal by the Canaanites, it's it's of the, the nation uh, the country that the Israelites went into. Okay, why would why would they even consider worshiping Baal? Well, here's a for instance. Okay, so you have this nation of people who have journeyed for years and years and years. They've lived this nomadic life and they've lived in the wilderness. And then God brings them into this ready made nation. Right. Everything's all set up for them and they come into it and life changes. They don't move anymore. They aren't herdsmen anymore. Oh, they still have livestock, but they now, they're, they're farmers. They're planting. They're establishing businesses and things like that. And the question that may be coming to their mind is this. Is the God of the wilderness sufficient for the changes in my circumstances? Maybe, maybe I should seek something else. And so... Baal sounds attractive because Baal is the, is the god of fertility. Baal is the reason that your livestock have young. Baal is the reason that your crops produce. Baal is the reason that you get rain when you need rain. That's what they are being told. And they're like, well, that makes sense. Why wouldn't we want that? So what we would do is then, as the Israelites say, what we would do then is we're going we're gonna to not choose one or the other. Let's go with both. Right? Let's, why not? Why not hedge both bets? So we're still going to follow Jehovah. We're still going to follow him, but we're also going to follow Baal. Now, the level of Baal worship takes a big step when Ahab marries Jezebel. And that's why it's significant that that's placed in here. Because the kind of Baal worship that Jezebel brings in, whose father is a high priest of Baal, got that job by killing his own brother, The kind of Baal worship that Jezebel brings in is a bloody, bloody worship. I mean, it is horrendous. And yet, somehow, it's okay. In fact, it's so okay that God has to confront it. In in 1 Kings chapter 17, we meet how he's going to get that done. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word now elijah the tishbite i need you to remember that okay we're going to refer back to that there's significance in his name there's significance in the meaning of his name by the way his name means god is jehovah that's the meaning of his name i love the meanings of names when we named our kids um we thought through okay why we're going to name our kids this way um i want to say some was probably really all right i don't know how you came to the conclusion on how you named your kids some of ours was like okay It was as shallow as, does it go good with Cox? Because they may have to live with that for a really long time. Or, did I go to high school with anybody that, yeah, we're not using that name. (laughs) All right, so some of it was that shallow, but others was, I love the meaning of name. So for instance, my oldest is named uh, uh, Hannah um, Lynn, okay? And um, Hannah uh, means uh, uh, giver of grace. And Lynn means refreshing waters. And so my oldest has always known your name means refreshing giver of grace. Live up to your name. Okay, so that's, that's how we've named our kids. Um, my name, actually, um, Matthew, means gift of Jehovah, all right, which is really good because I reminded my older sister of that all the time while I was growing up. I'm, I'm a gift of Jehovah. If you have a problem with that, take it up with him. Um, <clears throat> Elijah's name means God is Jehovah, and he's from Tishbiah, Elijah the Tishbite, and he gives this announcement to Ahab. Now, we know that this is a prayer of In fact, in James, it's going to affirm the fact this is how uh, Elijah has been praying, that there would not be rain except except when God sent it. Why is that significant? Remember, I said, well, Baal's the one who brings rain. And so his confrontation of Israel is this. You think it comes from Baal? Okay, yeah, you go with that. Go play that out. See how that works for you. All right. But we'll see who really provides rain. Then the word of the Lord, verse 2, came to him saying, uh, speaking of Elijah, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So God tells him, listen, get out of Dodge, deliver the message and run. Why why would God tell him that? Because they're going to try and kill him. That's why. I mean, to be a prophet of God is no fun thing. Uh, It doesn't usually work out well for prophets of God. And in this situation, God says, here's the exit strategy. You hit and run. Deliver and go, and I will provide. And I will take care of you there. How is he going to provide for him? I'm going to send the ravens. Whoa, what do ravens eat? Okay. <clears throat> I'll just hold my nose and swallow. I don't know, but it was what, it's what Elijah needed. And the brook is there, and he stays by that brook until what? Well, in verse 7, it tells us until it dries up. Why? Because there's a, there's a drought going on. Now, I wonder, and again, we want to be careful in in speculating on this. I wonder, what's going through Elijah's mind right now? Like, I want to know that. Because it's not like, boy, I woke up this morning and the brook's gone. No, every day there's a little less. Every day it's a little lower. And every day he has to trust the faithfulness of God. There are two things, like I said, two things I want you to discover today. One is, you may find that you resonate with different characters or identify with different characters that we go through or cover this morning. But that's good, all right? And that's good. And I pray that that will be an encouragement to you. But the biggest takeaway, and this is what, what caught me in just prayer, we want to find God. We want to discover God this morning, right? This is the revelation of himself through his word. So the biggest takeaway from this morning should be, wow, I know him more. I understand more about him. Elijah we don't get the insight into what he's thinking we just know he's what obedient in verse eight then the word of the Lord came to him saying arise and go to Zarephath which belongs to Sidon and and dwell there see I've commanded a widow there to provide for you so he arose and went to Zarephath why on earth would he go to Zarephath because God told him to go to Zarephath why would God tell him to go to Zarephath because that's where he's going to protect him what's in Zarephath Jezebel's kin yeah, where, where he doesn't send him deep into the wilderness of, of Israel or Judah and say, this is where I'll protect you. why? Because that's where Ahab's looking for him, to kill him. Where does he send him? Why don't you go over there and dwell with the enemy because Ahab's not going to look for you there. Really? Like, this is the best plan we could come up with? What? Like, I was doing good at the brook. Why don't we just stay at the brook? Well, what do we learn about the insight and the, the condition, the emotional health of, of Elijah? Nothing. What does he do? He just obeys. He just goes. So he does. And he goes with this widow, this widow that has been prepared for him. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. Verse 11. And as she was going to get it, he called her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord your God, your God, right? Because she's not, she, she's not, she's not um, uh, a follower of, of, of God. This is a, this is a Gentile nation with, and she's a Gentile woman, but she identifies who he is, all right. As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Whew. Why? Because there's a famine, and we know that there's a reason that. James chapter 1 ends with pure religion is this, to care for the widows and the orphan to keep yourself unspotted from the world. Why would God bring that up? Because there's something significant in caring for widows. God takes care of his people. Who are the widows? Oftentimes the forgotten people. This is a Gentile nation, and so they don't care for them. And this woman is in a place, she doesn't have what she needs. And Elijah said to her in verse 13, Do not fear... Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me, and afterwards make some for yourself and your son. Okay. So I only have enough for my son and I, then we're going to die. Yeah, make me one too. Okay, wait a minute. I only have enough, right? What does she do? For thus says the Lord," uh, uh, Elijah says in verse fourteen. "For thus says the Lord God of Israel: The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day of the Lord. The Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away, went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she said, and, and she and her, uh, he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. It comes to pass." All right. God is faithful to his word. God is always faithful to his word. And how is this? It says that the, the widow was prepared for him. How was the widow prepared? Prepared to act upon him, to care for him. Now, interesting. Verse 17. Now, it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick and his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left him. So she said to Elijah, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? This is just reaction, right? This is grief speaking. And he said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he, where he was staying and laid, on him, laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, my God, I pray. Let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him and he revived and Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah says, see your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, now by this, I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Really like, like the oil and the, like that wasn't enough. It took this. Uh, apparently it did for her to truly believe in, the, in, in, in who God was and how God was working through through Elijah. I'm going to tell you, that's sobering to me. And here's just, this is a side note, okay? This is a freebie. I'm going to throw this one out there to, to chew on. My dad, like I said, my dad was a pastor. My dad was heavily involved in the church from the time that I was born. In fact, the first Sunday and the only Sunday I missed for years was because I was born at 1030 on a Sunday and we couldn't quite make that service. We were just always at church. It's a great way to grow up if you have that opportunity to grow up that way. But I will tell you this, that when God confronted me with that Psalm chapter 1 to change the trajectory of my life, it wasn't because I had not sat under good biblical teaching. I had. I was familiar with the things of God, but I was familiar in a wrong way. I was familiar in the sense of being casual, careless, and callous toward them. This woman, she's lived for how long... With the familiarity of a daily miracle of being provided for. But it takes the, the death of her son for her to say, wow. Folks, be careful. We can get lulled into the rut of just, well, we, I, I do church. Like, I, 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 know, I know some things about God. Okay? And that's why, uh, even again, the prayer this morning, a new revelation of God. We need that. We need those reminders of who he is and the character of who he is. And so she responds. Chapter 18. We're making good time. Actually, I have no idea what time it is. All right, we're good. All right. Supposed to be done at 2, right? Yeah. So we're we got plenty of time. Chapter 18 it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, three years now, right? 3 years this drought has been going. And over 3 years actually. Um, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them 50 to a cave and fed them with bread and water. Now we're going to get one. There's just a couple things that we can say positively about Ahab. In all this, okay, he's a wicked, wicked king. He absolutely is. But he's got two things going for him. One, he does tend to humble himself. When confronted, there, there, there is a, a, at least a measure of repentance that God stays his hand of judgment upon him. Okay, so that's one thing. The second thing we discover next. And Ahab said to Obadiah, go into the land, to all the springs of water, and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock. He likes horses. So he's, so he's got that going for him, right? But everything else is really just a just a wreck. So they divided the land between them to explore it, and Ahab went one by himself, and Ahab and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now, now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him. And he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is that you, my Lord Elijah? And he answered him and said, It is I. Go tell your master Elijah uh, is here. So he said, How have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said, He is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom. Or, nation that they uh, could not find you. And now you say, Go tell your master Elijah is here, and it shall come to pass, as soon as I am gone from you, that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So, when I go and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord for my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord that I did what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here? He will kill me. Now there's an important fact in there that we need to grab a hold of. And that is the faithfulness of what Obadiah has done. He has preserved 100 prophets of God he has preserved 100 men of God and he has verbally told that to Elijah that will come into play here in just a little bit then Elijah said "As the Lord of hosts lives verse 15 before whom I stand I will surely present myself to him today so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and, to, and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? See, Ahab's not getting it. He thinks the problem is Elijah. If you fix Elijah, you fix everything, right? I'll tell you, um, I don't, I'm not going to camp here much, right? Be cautious of this politically. But when we look at political leaders... We oftentimes think, we well, just put a different guy in and it'll fix everything. No, it, it, it doesn't work like that, right? When we pray for revival in our land, we don't say, well, if we don't have a revival in our land, that, that's only going to take a change in leadership. No, revival starts ground up. It starts with us and the change in our hearts. That's what brings an impact to a nation. And so that's the condition that, that Ahab is in. He's putting all this on Elijah. If it weren't for Elijah, man, things would be great. But Elijah, he's the problem. He doesn't get it, but he's about to. Verse 18, And he answered and said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send out, gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, for the, uh, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table." So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together in Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. That's the question. That's the question that he puts to these people who have said, I want both I want enough of Baal to make sure I've got those things covered. I want enough of God to make sure I've got these things covered. And before we start throwing stones at these people, let me tell you that temptation is real for every one of us. I want enough of the world that that I don't feel like I'm missing out. I want enough of the world that I don't look like some religious freak. I want enough of the world because it's familiar to me, but I want enough of God that I don't have guilt. And I want enough of God that I don't have shame. I want enough of God that I have security. And, and Elijah is saying to this nation, it doesn't work. Today you choose. You choose. Who do you serve? You choose. It is the question that I ask my, my animals every day. Tomorrow I get to work with, with um, I have a three, this three-year-old stud colt. I'm just so excited about him. He might w- never work out. But for me, I'm like, he's, just, he's a really cool horse. Uh, he's a fun horse. And, uh, and, and I'm going to ask him this question, maybe not quite like this, and, 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 and I probably won't use the same words, but the same question is going to be posed to him tomorrow that Elijah poses to this nation today. And the question is simply this, so who's in charge today? Right? And I'm going to hope that he says, well, you, Matt, <laughs> that's what I'm going for, right? When I ride my longhorn steer, every time I climb on his back, I'm like, okay, so who's in charge today? I should probably ask that question before I climb on <clears throat> But it's the same question I have to answer every day. Who's in charge today? This is... And, 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 and it brings it down to him. It's like, this is Like, I'm not just kicking this out. This is not rhetorical. I expect an answer. And what does he get from the people? But the people answered him not a word. They, they, they didn't. They don't respond. They, they don't give him anything. Verse 22. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet for the Lord. OK, hold on. Yeah, there's hundred of them. What's going on here? Because this is going to become even more impactful in just a little bit. Elijah says, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now there's 850 there, right? Because there's also the prophets of Asherah, uh, who is like the female version of, of Baal. So in verse 23, therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Now, we're not going to read down through the rest of that chapter. Let me just I'm going to give you um, if you're. Uh, of my generation you still may have some point of context with this statement. I'm going to give you the reader's digest condensed version, okay? So we're just going to boil it down. Because while normally this is the part of the this is the part I love. The battle on Mount Carmel. I love this, right? When I was a kid, used to attend a camp called Camp Bethel, and there was a director there named named John Henry. And John Henry was this just like larger than life figure and he had this voice <clears throat> like a voice like I've always wanted to have but never could have a chance at, right? It's just like this deep. Bo- I can't even pretend to have it, right? I try to channel my inner Sam Elliott. If you're a westerns fan, then you know who he is. Anyway, try to my, you know, if I can only you know smokes eight, eight packs a day. I don't know something, but I can't. But he had one of those deep booming bo- voices. And the close of every week of camp, they they close with a with a, uh, with a with a bonfire with a campfire and chances to give testimony and stuff like that and this is how they did it right so they, they said it was in the mountains of virginia so it was kind of like this natural amphitheater and there were seats cut into the side of the hill and in the bottom they built up this big bonfire and unbeknownst to the people in the seats unless you had been there before coming out of that bonfire was a cable stretched up to a tree up behind everybody's back and in that up in that tree by via a ladder was a staff member and they had this rags soaked in fuel oil on a metal ring and they're just waiting and john henry would preach the same message every friday he would preach the message of the battle between um, elijah and the priests of baal on mount carmel and when he got to the concluding point all right because this is what happens all right i don't want to be a spoiler here they go to battle in fact interesting the 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 priests of baal they go out of pretty much all day into the afternoon and, and they really get worked up. I mean, they get so worked up that they begin cutting themselves that Baal would respond. Why would they do that? Because Baal's a bloody God. That's why they start to and, and OK, so in Elijah, I don't think mocking is biblical, by the way. I don't think it's loving. It's not the sixth love language, you know, words of affirmation, time, gifts. Mocking. <laughs> right? it's not, it doesn't fit in. We say in the Cox household, we say sarcasm is the sixth love language. But <clears throat> anyway, that's just kind of how we roll. But, but, but Elijah mocks him because he mocks the falsehood of who they are. He, he, he mocks the lie, the deceit that's being demonstrated there that day. And nothing occurs. No fire comes. But then, then, Elijah steps up and he requires them to do something. He requires them, anybody know, that? so what does he tell them to do? Soak it. soak it, right? Like, soak it, soak it. Like, build a trench around it, go get water. It's a drought. Where they got to go? Far, right? So I don't know on how this works. I don't, you know, I don't think that God has favorite Bible stories. I just think that though that God would look down on this and say, this is going to be good. Yeah. Like, really, really good. Right, Because all that time of going and getting the water, the people have to ponder. They have to consider. They have to wait. And they dump the water on. And then they go again. And they dump the water on. They go a third time. And they dump the water on until it fills the trench around the altar. Why would he do that? Well, this is not biblical. This is historical and a point to consider. Calling down fire or producing fire was not an unknown thing to the priests of Baal. Um, they have looked back in, in different digs and discovered that that um, they would find these altars, and in these altars were a place where hidden fire would be stored so it 's an illusion right it, they 're magicians they 're able to create this illusion so it looks like fire is being produced. So what is Elijah doing with every with every soaking of this he 's saying there is no illusion here there 's no hidden fire. this is going to be god it 's all God. who' going get the credit today? God and only God will get the credit today. So then he goes and he prays. And he prays that God would send a fire. And in um, verse 37, he says, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. So John Henry, that's how he would do it. He would say, oh God, send fire. And that little staffer up there would light that sucker and let it go, and it come down this cable at the bottom there was a little tray that had gasoline in it just enough to let the vapors kind of go up because you're lighting the vapors when you walked into that area you smelled the fuel oil they had soaked that sucker with fuel oil that fire would come down boom. and I remember the first time I saw it I was probably about nine years old and there was a kid much younger than I was I think he was seven sitting right in front of me and that fire came down hit that thing and that little kid jumped up and said praise God It was impactful. You're like, this is, this is, wow. What did we just see? That's what the people do too. They say, um, uh, where am I at? 39. 39, thank you. Now, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Okay, now careful. Don't hang your hat on this one. All right, and, and, uh, and there are people out, maybe even in this audience, I'm sure that there are, that know the Bible better than I do. But that caught my attention. Because what is the meaning of Elijah's name? The Lord, he is God. And I wonder, are they calling out for God, or are they calling out for Elijah? Have they turned their allegiance back to God, or have they just shifted their allegiance to a different man? I don't know. And, and quite frankly, if, I'm gonna, if, if you're going to say we well, have to choose, I'll choose that they chose God. okay? Because I think that's the affirmation according to what Elijah does next. Because he says in verse 40, And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, do not let them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. And, and Elijah said to Ahab, Go up and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, in other words, to celebrate. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and then he bowed down on the ground and he put his face between his knees and said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And seven times he said, go again. Then it came to the pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot. And go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with the clouds and wind. And there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah. And he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. That is miles and miles away. That that, um, Elijah will physically run before this chariot. Why, Why did he do that? Well... Why I say that I believe that they were crying out to God, that the people were crying out to God, uh, is affirmed in in Elijah's actions. And like I said, there were two things good about Ahab, right? One was he likes horses, and what's the other one? He does humble himself at times. And I think that's what's occurred here. Because going before uh, a king or royalty like that was was an expression of honor. It was a way of serving. And so Elijah is saying, listen, I'm like, I don't want to be my thing. I want to come under you, but I'm like, I can only come under you if you come under him. Right. And and in this moment, it seems that that's what Ahab has done. But this is still going to cost Elijah something. Physically, he is going to run before this chariot. Keep that in mind. Verse 9, chapter 19, verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also now how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow, about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and he confronted Jezebel, and he took back charge of the nation as the mighty man of God that he was. Oh, yours doesn't read that way? Yeah, mine doesn't either. And when he saw that, he arose. And ran for his life, and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left a servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And I say, Elijah, what happened? Like you were on the top. You, God was using you mightily, powerfully, for his glory that the whole nation would turn. What happened? Now, I'm of the belief that I don't think Jezebel was going to kill him. No, this is okay, because maybe I watched too much TV. I don't think he was, she was going to kill him. To kill him would create a martyr. I think she just needed to corrupt him and, and question his, his, his position. I think she just needed to, to cause him to, to be viewed differently by the people. Because if he could do that, she could do that. That's better than killing him, right? That, that, that perverts his message. That corrupts his message. And, and, he, and he falls right into it. Why? Why? Why would he do that? I think the answer comes next. He says this, and he prayed, Elijah, that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. Why would he say that? Well, remember, when he was introduced to us, we talked about the meaning of his name, right? Right. And what's the other thing that's told in his introduction? He's a Tish, Tishbite, right? He's from Tishbeah. Where, where is Tishbeah? Hmm. It's on the wrong side of the river. That's where Tishbeah is. Tishbeah is a town made up of those who never crossed over. Those who said, we would rather play it safe over here. Oh, we'll go help. But then we're going to come back over here because it's comfortable. Tishbe is a, is, a, is, a, is a town or city that was constantly being overtaken and overrun because they didn't have the protection of, 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 uh, of, the, of Israel. That, that's Tishbeah. That's where, that's, where, that's where Elijah's from. And what's he saying? I'm no better than those who didn't cross over. What's his appeal? Just take me, God. Shoot, that, that escalated quickly. And what does God do? He confronts him. He tells him, Why do you believe these lies? Why do you buy into these falsehoods? Nope. Nope. Verse 5. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. Because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. What does God know about his servant Elijah? He knows that he's tired. He has expended himself physically, spiritually, he is just spent. So, how does the God of the universe? The God who measures the universe with the span of his hands. The God who breathed the stars into existence. What does he do to his servant who is just just trapped in his own head? He he gives him rest. It's one of my favorite passages because it takes this universe-spanning God down to a compassionate, loving father who understands, Elijah, you're just tired. I mean, parents do that right so we have five kids and and within the context of the ministry and also within the dynamic of our family we travel and we travel distances my, when we were first married my parents lived almost 11 hours away and so our kids got used to traveling distance and in fact my kids still today uh, we were just talking because we have a big trip coming up out to Kansas and, and Texas this this spring Lord willing um, my kids anything five hours and less they figure is pretty good because they, they use the only word when it comes to... How far is it? Five hours? Oh, only five hours? Right? That's, just, that's, just, that's what they've grown up with. That's what they're familiar with. Now, interestingly enough, with our kids, it doesn't matter how far you go, they know the last hour. You can go 12 hours... You can go seven hours, five hours. You can pull a real long, which we've done before, 14, 16 hours with the kids in the car. Uh, we were never all-night people. We tried that once, just not our gig. Because um, <clears throat> then your kids are refreshed and ready to go, and you are shot like you've been pulled through a little hole. It just didn't, it didn't work. But somehow, within our children, and I'm going to blame my wife's side of the family, there's this thing built into them that an hour away they know. They have been angels. You, you are celebrating your skill as a parent For for eleven out of those twelve hours, and that last hour, you're like, we're gonna kick one of them to the curb. (laughs) Like I'm, I I really, actually, am gonna pull this this car over, and I actually am coming back there, right? Somehow they know inside, and so on the way home from a long trip, you're like, here it comes, and Jenny affectionately labeled it the arsenic hour. Here comes the arsenic hour, right? It's all gonna fall apart. Now, as parents, if you're rolling in to home after twelve hours of traveling. And you choose that last hour to teach your children self-discipline. God bless you. (laughs) That is not a hill worth dying on. All right. Why? Because what do your kids need? A lecture on what it is to be kind to their sibling? On why just because you said don't touch them anymore, staring at them is just as bad? No. What do they need? They need sleep. They're kids. They need rest. What does God know his child, his servant, his man Elijah needs? He needs rest. God knows. When you find yourself in that position that you are so wrapped up in the cares and the worries of your circumstances of life, and you're just spent, know that you have a God who knows you need rest. And he is the source of that. Because there's a journey ahead of Elijah. Because he doesn't just need rest. Verse 8. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, interestingly enough, it actually doesn't take that long to get to Horeb. So Elijah didn't take a straight-line march. Elijah's all over the place. But he's still headed back to God's mountain. He's still pursuing God. And there he went, verse 9, into a cave and spent the night in that place. The Jews believe that he actually went into the cave, the same cave that Moses was in. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? As if it was a surprise to God, right? So this question is not for God's sake. God already knows why he's there. This question is for Elijah's sake. So he said, verse 10, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. Hang on. Ready? I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Is that true? No, it's not. It's not. Verse 11. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle. And went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Hmm. Well, that sounds familiar. Let's hope for a different answer. And he said, verse 14, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Mm. So, this is how God's going to restore his servant. Because Elijah is still wrapped up in Elijah, where Elijah cannot see beyond himself, so verse fifteen, God says, "And the Lord said to him, "Buck up, little camper, we'll beat them together." <laughs> no, no, again, that's a really loose translation, apparently. no says, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazel as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of, of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Ouch. Elijah is, is but, but, but I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me. Okay, okay. So go anoint this king and go anoint that king. And then you go get Elisha. And Elisha will fill in your stead if you won't do it Elisha will that does not seem loving to me this compassionate God that gave rest food to Elijah like where's that God where's that where's that tender loving father who is committed to the restoration of his servant well but he is he is he confronts him in verse 18 Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. You are not alone. You feel alone, but you are not alone. Psalm 142, one of my favorite psalms. That's another one I'd preach out of with the opportunity. Psalm 142, I ruptured my Achilles years ago. And It was right during our summer camp and I was laid up with my leg elevated and um, quite frankly I was staying home on a Sunday. It was right after I'd had the sur- surgery to, to repair it. Sunday afternoon, kids are rolling in, camp's going on. I'm sitting in my recliner with my leg elevated feeling pretty sorry for myself. And I thought I gotta get my head on straight, right? I gotta get my thinking on straight. I go to Psalm one thirty nine. Psalm one thirty nine is great. Talks about God's thoughts toward me, His consideration toward me. Did nothing for me. Hit one forty, still nothing. One forty one, nada. One forty two starts out. I laid my complaints out before the Lord. Oh, this is my psalm, because I have complaints, right? And in in, in David's words in Psalm 142, he says, and I looked to my right hand and no man was there. That's not true. We know the story of David. We know that there are men surrounding David that would give their life at a moment's notice to preserve him. Those are the ones who who serve David. Was he alone? No, but he felt alone. I remember sharing that with Jenny and Jenny said, that kind of hurts I mean, as your wife. And I said, yeah, but you've been there. Haven't you been there? Surrounded by people that love you and support you and encourage you, but you feel alone. By God's grace, Psalm 142 ends with David's words when he says this: "But I know the Lord will deal bountifully with me." He comes around. Elijah is going to come around. Stay with me; we're almost there. But God confronts the lie that he's been believing. And Elijah goes and he does what God has asked him to do. He goes and anoints those kings. He goes and he anoints Elisha who will follow in his stead and will one day receive the mantle that he carries and be God's prophet to his his people. And then we don't hear a lot about Elijah again through 1 Kings. If you would, we'll wrap up in 2 Kings chapter 1. And when I look at this narrative, I say, So is God done with Elijah? Is that where the conversation ends? If you won't, I'll find somebody who will. I used you for this season, but that season's over. 2 Kings chapter 1. Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel? That you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah departed. And when the messengers returned to him, he said to them, why have you come back? So they said to him, a man came up to meet us and said to us, go return to the king who sent you and say to him. Same thing that God laid out to him. We'll cut back here a little bit. So in verse seven. Then he said to them, what kind of man was it who came up to meet you and told you these words? Verse 8. So they answered him, a hairy man. Yeah, all kinds of imagery comes to mind, doesn't it? Right there. You're like, I think I've think i known of guys like that, you know. Eighth grade basketball. I'm like, shoot, is that guy, is he shaving already? Um, yeah. No, it means that there was hair on the outside of his clothing. It was a distinctive thing that set him apart. And so it made him obvious. He has this clothing like that, a man wearing a leather belt around his waist, so distinctive that the king, Haziah, um, says, it is Elijah the Tishbite. And I don't think he said it, oh, it's Elijah the Tishbite. I think he said, it's Elijah the Tishbite. Right? He is back. He is really back. Then the king sent him Captain of 50 with his 50 men. Let me jump ahead and we'll just walk through this. So he sends out his 50 to go and to recover Elijah. And they find Elijah on this mount. And the commander of the 50 say, man of God, come down. And Elijah responds by saying this. If I be a man of God, then fire come down from heaven and consume you. And 50 are gone. So Haziah sends out another 50. And they find Elijah on that same mount. And this guy's cocky. He says, man of God, come down quickly. And Elijah says, if I be a man of God, then fire come down from heaven and consume you. And 50 more are gone. And so Ahaziah sends out a third. And this guy shows up. And he says, don't kill me. I'm only the messenger. And God tells Elijah, go with that man. And Elijah does. Why is 2 Kings 1 important? Because the man of God on Horeb that seemed like God was done with him, his time is over, is calling down fire from heaven. Again, he has been restored. Our God is a God who restores, and he is committed to our restoration forever, however long it takes. His tactics might not be the tactics that we choose. His means of accomplishing that may not be the way that we think it should get done. How did he counsel Elijah on Horeb? He said, I've got a job for you to do. Why was that important? Because Elijah couldn't see past Elijah. And God knew he had to get his eyes back on him. I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me because he trusts in me. The words of God in Isaiah chapter 26. This last year has been quite a marathon and we're not done yet. But life is like that, isn't it? And praise the Lord that we serve a God, a God who will do what it takes to restore us back to himself, even when we get wrapped up in us, even when we get trapped in believing lies that everybody else looking in, reading the story says, yeah, but that's not true. It sure feels true. We need to go to the source of truth We need to go to the one who restores. So, my encouragement to you this morning, and my challenge to you this morning is, first, so who do you relate to in this narrative? Perhaps Elijah. I mean, perhaps you're there. And I don't take tritely the, um, or hopefully in any insensitive way, the condition that Elijah's in when he... I mean, Elijah wants to end it. He wants to be done with this life. And maybe you are there or have been there, or maybe you're just discouraged. What's the solution? We've got to get our eyes on God and off us. We've got to seek his face to understand the circumstances of the day. You don't try to understand God through the circumstances. You understand the circumstances through God. You look to God to understand these things. Maybe you relate with that widow and you become familiar and casual and too casual with the things of God. We need to step back and see the miracles that are each day. Not just the big ones that happen occasionally, but each day the miracle that God does. Maybe we're in the same place that the nation of Israel is in all of this. And I'm going to tell you, we're always in that spot where we have to answer that question. Today, whom will you serve? Who's in charge today? Who's Lord of your life? But the most important thing that I want to answer and we've looked at today, is this. What can we understand more about God? Well, maybe there's other things that have stood out to you, but the reason that I linger in this passage and the reason that it came to mind for me was this. We serve a God who is committed to us. We are his children if we're followers of Jesus Christ. He will do what it takes, however it is best for us, to keep us restored to himself. That's his commitment to us but that shouldn't surprise us, right? When we consider his commitment to us through his son, Jesus Christ, when we consider what he was willing to do on our behalf, that we might have this relationship from the first place by sending his son to die in our place to pay the penalty for our sins. It shouldn't surprise us that we serve a God who is so faithful and so committed and who knows our needs, who knows our needs sometimes beyond what we know our needs, that when he knows that we're tired, he gives us rest. He gives us refreshment. When my brother died years ago, I was reading through Psalm 103 and just trying to seek God's face to make sense of things. And the passage that he used to encourage me, let me pass to you this morning to encourage you as well. In Psalm 103, he talks about all the attributes of God and all that God does for us. But in verse 14, I believe it is, it makes this statement. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. He knows us. He knows you. He knows me. And he's a God who loves us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gracious patience of everybody this morning. This is a, this is a big swallow, God. It's a, we covered a lot of ground in your word. And hopefully we haven't been too fast with it there's lots more there but Lord we can always go back and look at that so in that we thank you for your word the freedom to be able to do that the joy be able to do that I pray father that you would meet with each of us that are here this morning Lord that you would challenge each of us where where we are Uh, perhaps we are like Elijah is and in a place where it's hard to see beyond the circumstances of life right now help us Lord by your grace to turn our eyes to you And to see you in the context of our circumstances. To discover you more. To find our confidence, our peace in you. We ask for your help in that. Help us to be able to identify the lies that we have been believing. I doubt we chose them. I doubt we walked into them willfully. But the enemy father, he is the father of lies. And chooses to use deception to attack us and to corrupt us. So Lord, help us to see those things and then by your grace to walk in your truth. We praise you, God, that you are a God who knows our needs even when we are weary, discouraged, you know, and you are a God who is purposeful in restoring us. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning who does not know your son Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray that today is the day they would make that decision that they would understand this commitment that you have done for us on our behalf by sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. We were lost in our sins, hopelessly lost, unable to save ourselves. We were were destined for a life uh, of an eternity separated from you, God, an eternity of, of judgment. But because of work of Christ on our behalf, because he came and he died And he was buried and he rose again, signifying you accepting that sacrifice. Lord, by placing our faith and trust in that, we can have eternal life. How great a commitment is that, God? So if there's somebody here this morning that has not made that decision, I pray that before they leave here, that they would talk with someone who can encourage them in knowing how to make that decision. That they walk out of this place with their eternity secure in the confidence of who you are. Lord, help us each day to pose the same question to ourselves that um, Elijah posed to this nation. So who's in charge today? And in sobriety, Lord, to consider that, not just in the morning to get it done, but in the course of the day, in every instant, every decision, every circumstance, every opportunity, every temptation, that we would ask ourselves that question, So who's in charge today? We want to tell you, we love you, God. And we thank you for your great love for us. Demonstrated through your son, Jesus, but demonstrated to us each day. And Lord, by your grace, would you lead us in knowing you more? And we walk uh, in the confidence, Father, of knowing that we are known by you. We praise you for all this. We thank you for all this. And we ask these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.